0: And we go a little something like this Hit it
1: Welcome to Keeping It Real with Dina You can now find us in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes under
0: podcast We fancy y'all And now here's your host, Dina Babel Welcome to Keeping It Real with Dina I'm not as rusty as I was last week Because I've gotten back on the microphone And Clint even left me in this studio by myself Um, So God, we had a great, great episode last week. We were talking to Melissa Roshan, and I can't wait to get back into this with her. She is a model and an activist and a speaker and a girl's girl. Um, we have a lot to talk about, and she has got such soulful, deep energy. I'm so glad we're holding this space for her tonight. Okay, I'm your host, Dina Babel. I'm an author, motivational speaker, life coach, medical expert, mother, wife, and I'm tired. Um <laughs> you can find our podcast on iTunes under Keeping It Real with Dina. If you like it, um you can subscribe and uh, give us a review. They love review all reviews on iTunes. Um my book The Fatherless Daughter Project: Understanding Our Losses and Reclaiming Our Lives came out June 7th. You can also go on Amazon and give a review there, girl, because they love those reviews there. If you're ever looking like on Amazon or Audible, you, everybody looks at the reviews. How many stars? What did they say? So it's really important. So if you feel moved, do that. Coming up, I have um, an online course, How to Take the Dysfunction Learned in Childhood Out of Your Adult Relationships in Order to Get the Love You Were Meant to Receive. Boom, boom, pal. Go to dinababel.com. Check that thing out. If you're struggling through a relationship, if you keep go into the same patterns the same triggers and you can't figure out what the hell you're doing wrong this course is for you um the fatherless daughter Masterclass project one october 14th through 16th is coming in atlanta we're going to have our own mail row who is who we're talking to this week is going to come talk a little bit at our retreat she is a fatherless daughter herself which we will get into Go to DinaBabel.com or FatherlessDaughterProject.com for more information. Melissa Roshan Potter, how are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling awesome. I I am still just kind of basking in how amazing your last show was. And um, I'm really, really eager to to sit down and and talk with you tonight.
0: Oh, good, good, good. I'm excited. So Melrose. Grew up in foster care, and um, our last conversation, we talked about her conception. She was the product of a rape. Her mother was very young, 13 and a half years old, and she was eventually given up to some of her family members at the age of nine months and um, in and out of foster care after she was nine years old. Um, she is an international model. She's been on magazine covers, billboards, commercials, runways. She's done her own TEDx speech. Sister is making it happen. So we want you to know all the great things she's doing, but we also like to peel back the onion here and talk about purpose. And so Melrose is really giving it to us. And we we finished... um, the episode last time talking about suicide and Melro was um, telling us about going to a bridge. So let's go back to that for a minute. um, If you don't mind, Melissa, tell me like the thought process that went into that just so for anyone out there that is contemplating this, you know, what was your thought process and and how did that look for you? And just kind of take me back to that if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. So I have just uh, gotten to a place in my life where, um, again, as I said last week, I I saw value in my modeling pictures. I saw value in my career, saw value in my car and value in my expensive clothes. But I did not see value in myself because of the things that had happened to me and those things were unresolved. And I just got to a place where, yes, I had all these material items, but the house that I was living inside, house being my own self, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to live there anymore. And I checked out and I just thought, well, it would be easier if I just give up because Mm -hmm. uh, nothing is changing. I'm not happy. I'm endlessly feeling ugly and I just don't want to be here anymore. And so... Uh, My thought process was this. Um, I had thought about suicide for quite a bit. Um, I had made my first suicide attempt when I was 15 and uh, swallowed uh, two bottles of pills and ended up having my stomach pumped and then um, never went through any real therapy, just kind of went on through life, uh, ended up being married and modeling and kind of swept things under the rug. And this time I was very hellbent determined that i would be successful at ending my life and um it took me about 2 months to kind of really just uh just say enough was enough now i didn't write any letters um i didn't say any final goodbyes but the days leading up to um the, the day that i tried to commit suicide i just uh i was very much i was very calm Mm-hmm. Eerily calm Resolved And I just felt like Yeah, I'm, well I'm going to die So nothing really matters And uh, I made that choice It was on a Wednesday It was around It was in August 2011 Maybe the end of August actually And I just said uh, I'm, I'm going to take my life And as I walked along this bridge I remember thinking Your mom didn't want you Your dad didn't want you Everybody abused you. Everybody hates you. People are always putting up pressure on you to be this perfect model, to be this perfect person. But if they knew how broken you were, they wouldn't even give you any opportunities. There's no way that your life could get better. And look at you, the fact that you're even thinking about leaving your children. Because mm-hmm. I have two children, mm-hmm. you're 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 you are absolutely worthless. So it was the self-loathing. It was just a- absolutely disgusting, the things that I was saying to myself. And I um, I wasn't crying. I wasn't weeping. I just I couldn't hear anything. I I checked out, and I stood at the uh, edge of this reservoir, and I got ready to jump. And this woman just appeared out of nowhere she wasn't a figment of my imagination she's actually um written in pli- in the police report mm-hmm. that after um over shortly after the suicide attempt and i'll and i'll get back to it i thought was that woman even really there? right and then was she I, my guardian had, angel yeah i had to make sure that that someone was there but she she was and she walked up to me and started actually telling me how beautiful I was oh. unprompted without even knowing that I was feeling ugly.
0: Did she know you were going to jump? Was it, I mean, could she I tell? I believe she did. Okay.
1: I believe she did because she was very careful mm-hmm. um, and she was asking me how I was doing and, and how beautiful I was and how worthy I was, and and it was like she was trying to just keep me very calm. And I remember feeling so angry by her words, and I just wanted her to go away. And I don't know when she called the police, but um, they appeared from my left and right side. And I remember one of the officers, he broke down and just was like, please don't do this. You are so beautiful. Like, you, you know, you don't have to throw away your life. And I just, I I collapsed in his arms and he carried me like a rag doll into this uh, ambulance. And I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. I thought I was going to pass out. And I was so embarrassed and so scared and so lost. And in that moment, I was 31 years old and I literally felt like I was six And I wanted mom or dad to be there to yeah. calm me down. And they weren't there And uh, laying in the psych ward that night, they took off this uh, Chanel blouse that I was wearing that day, and I had to trade it for a hospital gown. And that was my moment of reckoning, because it's like, you have all these things, you have this successful career, you have all of these things, but on the inside, you're so empty. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had to wake up. I knew that my life depended on it and uh, that was the moment that I really decided to not just physically get up out of that hospital bed when they allowed me to, but it was, I, I, knew, I knew that I had to get up out of the depression. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had to get up out of feeling up. That was deep, your rock bottom. Of, it was my rock bottom where I always like to say I discovered that God was the rock at the bottom. Good things were 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 also at the bottom, but mm. I had to be brave. Girl, that is,
0: that is strong right there. That is amazing. So thank you for sharing that, honestly, Melro, because a lot of people, I see this, even with myself, honestly, when, when we get on this path and we're purpose warriors and we're going out to and our, our life has been to help others and, and that's what we're called to do. I think that you can glaze over parts of your stories because, okay, it's been told so many times or I feel like I've told it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember Gabby Bernstein told me one time, she's like, Dina, I could tell the story about being on the floor after I snorted too much cocaine eight million times and I can still start crying saying it. And, you know, it's beautiful that you are still open enough and that you still remember who you are and where you're going and where you came from. Um, that's what makes you so beautiful. you know. Obviously, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're really, really helping a lot of people right now. So I commend you for doing this. I really, really do. Thank
1: you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I, I, you did ask me um, a question last week, and I had time to, to kind of really process it and think about it. You asked me, when did I discover my, my beauty? Like, what was that process mm-hmm. like? And the answer is this. It was when I hit that bottom and uh, had to really, really look at the things from my past that were ugly, and I had to make the choice to believe and accept that those things were not, they are part of my narrative, but they they were not me. They were not my identity. That's
0: right. That's right. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, I get it's interesting. You want to be the cheerleader and you want to talk about talk about being a survivor and a warrior. And let me show you how to get here. Right. But you also got to remember the people that are still really broken. And there are people out there and God, you know, I could be that tomorrow. Right. And there are people out there that are so vulnerable and so scared. And just hearing this kind of conversation. I mean, I can remember at a time in my life when I went through my breakdown um, and a lot of it. You know, my father was murdered. I went through life, you know, on paper looking like I had, you know, my shit together. So I'm like, um, you know, I look like this. I've got this job. I have these friends. You know, of course, I don't have all these secrets under here. Right. And I remember moving to a completely new state because I wanted to get away from everything. And I was basically by myself. And I remember not wanting the light to come up. I didn't want the sun to come out because Mm -hmm. then I had to be part of everyday life. If it was dark and it was nighttime, nobody knew that I was isolated. When it was light outside, everybody knew like, okay, or I had to answer the phone or I had to be, you know, somewhat. It had to
1: be on. I had to
0: be on. And there was nothing. I mean, I was dust. I had nothing to be on for. And. What really triggered my breakdown is, and I want to get into this with you, but I had went through lots of different relationships, boyfriends, not from a sexual, crazy personality. I don't mean that. I mean, you know, just going through life. And if anybody, I was the lever, you know, so everybody I met, I was like, okay, I'm going to be with this guy, but I know I can leave. You know, because he's not going to get the best of me. I'll leave him. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I'd pick someone that I knew eventually I would get a little bored of and great guys, I never really even dated anybody that was a bad person. I would just pick real safe people and, you know, do my emotional gymnastics on them. Right. And so Mm -hmm. um, I love that word two words Um, but I would kind of act out and do my you know crazy stuff and everything and then I would exhaust myself in that person and I'd move on until I stumbled across one guy that um, really rocked my world and you know we loved each other very deeply but I was a broken person and Mm -hmm. he wasn't and um, you know I kept running up against this guy going okay whoa 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 I'm having to Take a look at myself, and instead of projecting, I'm having to really stay still. And when we broke up, I lost it. And I, you know, if I was him, I would have ran for the hills, right? And I was holding on for dear life, mm-hmm. and that was my rock bottom. And I won't get into all the details of it, but you know i knew for once someone could leave me and reabandon me the way my father had and oh, so wow. that was so powerful for me tell me about your your relationships like so so you I, you get out of foster care at what age
1: i got out of foster care when i was 15 and went back with one of the same family members that uh that landed me in the foster care system, which should not be surprising because mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, victims of the abuse, or they, in various forms of abuse, emotional, th- uh, domestic violence, uh, child abuse, they'll go back to their abusers because it's comfortable, it's what they know.
0: Well, and the abusers okay. court them, so let's be real. You know, they're exactly. trying to get them back too.
1: And check this out, as a side note, if they don't go back to the abuser, they become an abuser. Oh,
0: absolutely. Because yeah. you you do what you see. I mean, for exactly. sure, absolutely.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So,
0: so you went back there to where the abuse was, and I went back
1: there to where the abuse was and uh, lived there for a while. Um, of course, nothing changed, and um, I just I was very angry. I mean, I I didn't have anyone to kind of help me. Process what it I had gone through in the foster care system, and I had these raging hormones, mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I was I was very broken, and yeah. so the way that I was behaving in my relationships were a, they were very broken, and b, without a father in my life or a mother, I, I just was very hungry and starving for love. Absolutely, someone as if I was starving for food and you you could just put coal in front of me and I would have eaten it Mm -hmm. because I was that hungry that's how it was for me with love and so the first boy that told me he thought I was beautiful in high school I just ran with it believed him
0: Mm -hmm.
1: fell in in love and within weeks was having sex and then eventually ended up uh, getting pregnant and being a teen parent so that's
0: interesting so so you were how old when that happened
1: I was 16 when I got pregnant, 17 when I had my baby boy.
0: So let's talk about that for a minute. I think the most important thing that we can say in this episode is cyclical patterns, right? And so you can't do better unless you know better, right? And not that there's anything wrong with having a baby at 16, It's just that you're obviously not ready emotionally or physically or financially or any other way. But my point is, your mother came from a broken home, right? You're now in this cycle of where I'm sure your mom was, you know, starved for attention as well and doing her thing. And you're watching this and, you know, that's what, what you become. And so the cool thing that you're doing, Melrose, is you have stopped the pattern your family. You have put a complete roadblock up like, okay, we're going to head in a different direction. So yes. you should be really patting yourself on the back because this ain't going to happen to your children, honey.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much
0: for saying so, that. So really tell me about it. your son. Tell me about what happened and how did that go with that relationship?
1: Absolutely. So the relationship um, between his biological father and myself, I mean, once he found out I was pregnant, then domestic violence began in our relationship. And here I was, you know, 16, 17 years old in this teen domestic violence relationship. And after I had my son, uh, Child Protective Services, uh, they just put their foot down and they said, hey, listen, there's a baby involved. And if you do not keep your son safe, and get out of this situation, we will take him. We will take Mm -hmm. your son, and he will be a ward of the state. And it was one of those things where, um, as you said, I said, listen, um, I'm not going to allow that that to happen. I am not going to allow history to repeat itself. And I made the choice to go and live at a teen parenting homeless shelter with my son. and, um, And I raised him, and his father lost all of his parental rights. The relationship with my son was beautiful. There is a saying that says you cannot give um, to someone what you've never been shown. And I believe that. But there's another side of that. If you really, really choose to, and I keep using the word choose and choice, because it's really making up your mind that no matter what I've been shown I am going to make an effort to be the best parent possible. I am going to actively go out and seek the information that I need and the tools and resources that I need to be able to get this job done. And that's with parenting or with anything, right? And so I went out and took parenting classes that were not even mandatory and I was hanging around other mothers and older women and asking them how to cook and asking them how to take care of of a baby and what about this and what about that because I wanted to do the exact opposite of what I had been shown. And it was a very, it was a beautiful journey, and it was, and it was a journey that was was not easy because here I was growing up my own self, yeah. and I had this beautiful baby boy that I had to take care of. So completely fast forwarding, um, I raised my son. He is now eighteen. He literally um, just left uh, the University of Cincinnati today awesome. for a meeting, and. Um, most recently our story hit um it was actually international news because he made the choice to take me to prom mm. and uh because i did not get a chance to go to my own family, and that was a way to honor me so that's what that that's
0: a man girl you've done like, a good job with that.
1: yeah one. so um but what's interesting and i, I really want your listeners to, to really hear me on this one hear me with your heart is that though i did not become an abuser of my son and now my eight-year-old daughter i became an abuser to myself so the cycle it was stopped with with uh, broken relationships between uh, parents and children in my family and my children have never been in anyone else's care but I still became an, an abuser of myself and an emotional abuser of myself, a physical abuser of myself, because I did battle with some eating disorders mm-hmm. and even some uh, addiction to uh, non-prescribed Xanax, yeah. which, which, mind you, I, I trust you completely, Vina, because I never share that publicly. But I just feel led to say that. And I, I want your listeners to understand that. That when you're abusing yourself, you are still an abuser and you can make the choice to stop before it gets out of hand. But it, it has to be a conscious choice and you've got some work ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And so you can go to the extremes of, yes, having the eating disorders, or you can just have little things that are not so little, like bad self-talk, Oh yeah, smoking cigarettes, eating bad food, toxic relationships. These are all forms of abuse, and if it's if it goes on too long, and you know this because of the great work that you do, it'll take you down.
0: It will, and you know, the reason why I asked you that question about self, self-talk when we were talking in the first mm-hmm. episode is even me, who has, you know, a pretty strong confidence level, right? I never, my mom did a great job. I had some great stand-in Um, fathers that were able to at least give me that good chunk, right? And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times, you know, when you hear people talk about self-talk, whether it's drinking, you know, drugging, eating, or whatever that disease process is, right? I would always listen, and even as a nurse, and, and, you know, working in trauma for 10 years and becoming a medical expert and all these different things, I remember sitting around thinking, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, I've never done that. Well, the truth is I have. I mean, I might not say, "God, Dina, you look fat in the mirror," right? But I might go, "You know what? You don't look as good as you did before." Or um, you know, "I look great. I love this outfit. But you know what? My arms could tone up a little bit," right? And so mm-hmm. it's when you think about that, and self-talk is so important. I'm so glad you brought that up because you think you're doing okay, but the only voice you hear 24 hours a day is yours. So other people can say anything. But if you're not saying something really good to yourself and keeping the energy and the vibration up, of course, you're going to have a bad day. Of course, you're going to get pissed off. Life's going to happen. But you got to really, really be mindful of what you're saying to yourself. Um, That's good. That's I, I want to go back to one other thing, because believe it or not, we're getting close to the end. Is this not crazy? Yeah. Um, abuse i met this guy um through another author friend of mine and his name is rod power and he wrote a book called my underpants rule his wife he lives in in australia his wife um was a cop and she saw lots of kids that were abused and you know so on and so forth and they got together and were like what can we do to stop the cycle or, you know, before someone gets to that point that these kids kind of have something to say or know what's right or wrong? I think in Australia, it was one in every three to five people are, ab- are abused for whatever reason in that area. And so wow. it's crazy, right? Um, so I got to know him really well. And we've talked a little bit about um, some children's books, ideas. He's a really cool guy. And we basically just Skype on the phone and talk about You know, being an author and all the work it is. And I know you're writing a book, and that's something we could definitely get into. It's a long process, and you got to be very mindful of what you're doing and really want to do it. Um, But he wrote this book. It's called My Underpants Rule, and it really makes something that's very – I don't know, such a hard, heavy topic, a lot lighter. And it's done in a, you know, a children's format. So it's on Amazon and everywhere else. And he sells it um, and he's doing a lot in the States. But I wanted to leave with that because if your parents out there and, you know, everybody needs to read a book like this to their kids. I have a three and five year old. I read it to them Um, just to kind of start the conversation because you think you're having the conversation, but, you know, obviously not all of us can do it child friendly. So, mm-hmm. um, my real boss of the week is. paid
1: the call to be the boss. Pay the call to be the boss. I pay the call to be the boss. Look at me. You know what to see.
0: Mr. Rod Power, mate. Um, he wrote <laughs> My Underpants Rule, a children's book about setting boundaries to prevent abuse. He even wrote this little jingle that goes with it. So I just want to give him a shout out because such great work. And I love to recognize all these people that are in their purpose. Melro, yeah. thanks so much for being here. We got another Thank episode you. coming up Thank with Miss Melro. Thanks uh, for listening, and we'll be great. back. Thank you.
1: I think come on